86% of companies consider OEE to be the most important KPI for measuring smart factory success. So operational improvement tops workforce enablement and sustainability as the leading KPIs for measuring the success of their industry 4.0 strategy. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 149. Today, we're discussing how to thrive with AI. We're talking artificial intelligence strategies for manufacturers. Our guest this week is Jeff Winter, a senior director of industry strategy for manufacturing in Hitachi Solutions America. But you might know him better as the Industry 4.0 guy on LinkedIn. If you're a listener of this podcast, there's a good chance you're already following Jeff on LinkedIn where he shares manufacturing, AI, and industry 4.0 insights on an almost daily basis. And we're going to cover a bunch of his recent insights in this interview. So here are three things you can expect from today's episode. First, we talk about artificial intelligence. Jeff breaks down some terminology first before we dive into a range of how manufacturers are leveraging AI so far and why they should be using AI. Second, we talk about Industry 4.0. Since this isn't Jeff's first time on the show, he was back on episode 73. We discuss how Industry 4.0 has evolved since our last conversation. Finally, you're going to hear a great mix of industry stats and trends, Jeff's perspectives, and what manufacturers need to be thinking about if they want to be relevant five years from now. Honestly, Jeff is one of the most well-informed people I know when it comes to manufacturing trends, especially around digital transformation artificial intelligence, and really most of the cutting-edge stuff that manufacturers should be paying attention to in this space. Not only that, he does a great job of mixing this in with his own insights, and he cites his sources, which is why you'll definitely want to check out the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 149. There we'll have links to some industry reports, studies, and recent articles that if you want to take a deeper dive, these are great places to do that. I just have one call to action for you before we start this episode. If you learn something from this interview, and I'm super confident that you're going to, hey, share it on LinkedIn. Share the link to the show notes, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 149. Tag Jeff, tag myself. We'd love to keep the conversations going around artificial intelligence, industry 4.0, and any of the lessons learned from this episode. That's how we all keep learning. That's how we build our manufacturing community. Anyway, with that, it's time to meet up with Jeff Winter in Naperville, Illinois. Jeff, last time we were doing this, theoretically, we were having burgers and beers at Empire Burgers and Brews in your hometown. Now, where would we be having this interview this time? So as I've gotten to learn Naperville a little bit better, there is a local pub called Jackson Avenue Pub, and they have a drunken pear burger made with bourbon poached pear slices, goat cheese, arugula, and balsamic glaze. It's delicious. 
I like it. I like it. I'm glad that we're sticking to burgers and like beverages each time. Burgers are a huge staple. In fact, I think one of my last guests was just talking about burgers. So, all right, we're having burgers and beer and we're talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning as as people do when they have those things. So my first question is, if we're having this conversation over a beverage, how do you describe the difference between machine learning, AI, and generative AI? I think that's a good place to start because those terms are thrown around so much these days, and this feels like a good pub conversation. I think so too, and it is one that I have all the time outside of work, even to my wife and others just wanting to know what these things are. So here's kind of the way that I like to describe it. So artificial intelligence or AI is the overarching discipline that covers anything related to making machines and computers behave intelligently. And this includes basic uh, like rule-based systems and more complex systems that mimic human intelligence. Machine learning is a subset of AI that involves the practice of using algorithm algorithms to parse data, to learn from it, and then make predictions or decisions without being explicitly programmed to do so. So the learning actually occurs when the machine or the model becomes better at decision-making as more data is analyzed and more feedback is provided. Now, deep learning is a subset of machine learning inspired by the structure and function of the human brain. And it employs something called neural networks, which have several hidden layers or deep neural networks between inputs and outputs. And these, these layers perform computations and pass information from one to the next, allowing the system to learn complex patterns in the provided data. Now, generative AI is a further subset of deep learning. And generative AI, or the models, they're capable of creating entirely new data that resembles the training data. For instance, generative AI can create realistic human faces or write human-like text. And they do this by learning the probability distribution of the input data and then generating new data from the same distribution, hence generating new, unseen, never-before-had content. Now, ChatGPT is a type of generative AI developed by the company OpenAI that utilizes the GPT, or Generative Pre-trained Transformer AI model. And so by, by predicting the next word in a sequence given the previous words, it generates human-like text responses instead of selecting from predefined responses. And this system integrates aspects of AI, machine learning, deep learning, and generative AI. But to answer your question as if we were really hanging out at a bar, I would say think of AI as the overarching framework or environment. AI is like the bar itself, the grand gathering place. Machine learning is like your favorite bartender who knows what you want based off your previous orders and your mood. And generative AI is the pal who's sitting next to you and after a few pints starts telling you stories you've never heard before. That is an excellent analogy. I like how you brought that all together. That is that. Wow. I don't know if we can top that. And that's the first question. I know you can top it, though. We've got a lot of questions ahead as as we as we dive deeper. So. Well, let's let's keep this going, because for the manufacturing leaders out there today, we're going to be talking mostly about AI. We'll get into because you're an industry 4.0 expert. We'll get to that a little later. But let's keep this artificial intelligence conversation going from a really pragmatic standpoint at a very basic level. 
What would you say is a healthy way for manufacturers to be thinking about artificial intelligence right now? Like experimenting with it, learning how to use it correctly, trying not to use it incorrectly, certainly not ignoring it. What's the healthy approach at this stage? So it's a great question. So artificial intelligence can be a valuable tool for every industry, especially manufacturing. And it kind of offers two primary forms of utility, augmenting and automating decisions. And it's a good way to think about it, kind of breaking it up that way. So from the augmentation side, AI can augment human decision-making by providing valuable insights from complex data sets that humans, simply put, might overlook. So for example, AI could be used in predictive maintenance, a process where manufacturing uh, takes advantage of AI algorithms to analyze equipment data to identify patterns and predict potential future failures. And with this knowledge, maintenance technicians can intervene in a timely manner, thereby reducing downtime and saving costs. But it can also be used to sift through millions of data points to look for patterns or correlations, and, and therefore it can help with predictions and forecasts. It can be used to help with classification of grouping of items and... With generative AI, it can be used to help generate content, images, or even new code. And it's all assisting a human with their job and with their decisions. Now, the automation way of looking at it, this is where AI does the task for you or makes the decision for you. So as an example in manufacturing, uh, a good one is quality control. So traditionally, quality control processes might involve manual inspection and manual classification of products a task that can be time-consuming and prone to human error. But computer vision using AI can automate this process by analyzing product images, by identifying defects, by classifying product quality, and even determining the best corrective actions to be taken. Another example is real-time process control optimization. And this includes utilizing reinforcement learning and simulation where an AI model can make process parameters on the fly, reacting to environmental changes. And it will learn from its actions and improve over time. It can do this thousands of times a second. According to uh, you know, a study done by MIT and Boston Consulting Group, they actually identified five modes that span these two categories where you start with the human generates the answer and AI evaluates it, and then you work up to AI generates insights and the human uses it in a decision process. Then AI recommends an answer and a human decides. And then you move up to AI decides and a human implements. And at the very top, AI decides the answer and AI implements it. So you have like five progressive modes of using AI to augment and automate decisions. Now, the interesting part is the companies that saw the greatest financial benefit were the ones that used all five modes, not just always aiming for, we want the AI to decide and the AI to implement, automating everything. So it's about finding the right place to use AI the right way. And I remember seeing you share about those five modes recently. I'm going to need to screenshot that and throw that on the show notes <laughs> page because I know this is going to be a nice little AI guide for, for manufacturers when this is all said and done. I also saw you talking about three main viewpoints of chat GPT version 1.0. And this is functional, industry, and employee-led. And I want to ask you, which of these three viewpoints are you seeing leverage 
ChatGPT the most right now, or feel free to go down a layer to like a specific function, a specific industry, or a specific employee use. You just gave a couple good examples. I'd love to keep going with this. Sure. So yeah, I, I came up with this sort of, it's like a mind map of three different three different viewpoints around ChatGPT and a, a functional level, such as operations, IT, HR, sales, engineering, finance, and legal as examples, as well as a, an industry lens. So the different use cases by manufacturing, healthcare, retail, construction, you get the idea. And an employee level, which was four levels. It was uh, the frontline worker, managers, senior leadership, and the C-suite. So I came up with this because depending on who you talk to for what reason, they're always looking at it a little differently. And it actually took a little while to come up with. I read probably 50 or 60 different articles out there on, on use cases for ChatGPT to kind of compile them all together in this view. So which of these viewpoints am I seeing leverage ChatGPT the most? Well, since ChatGPT has been out for less than a year, <laughs> there's no statistical evidence to support any answer that I'm aware of yet. But in my opinion, it would probably be the, the functional way of looking at it. Because I would say industry, every industry is using it. I don't know of any industry that isn't. I'm biased and think manufacturing can and should be using it the most, but every industry is looking at it. But you start to see the different, the different uses more prominently, I say, when it comes to the, the functional. Now, within that, I would actually say sales and marketing, I would put at the top because the summarization capabilities and content creation capabilities are the easiest to adapt to just daily tasks. However, legal and finance may surprise you. I'm starting to see them use it a lot, especially for documentation review and, and using the summarization and comparison kind of functionality between documents. The operations and frontline workers, I would actually say are the slowest adopting right now, mainly because it's less about an individual person using it and more about the function taking advantage of it a whole as a whole, which requires more forethought to figure out how to integrate it into the, the function overall. But if I had to pick a specific role using it the most, I would say marketing, especially for content creation. I mean, this function relies on storytelling, messaging, and, and taking advantage of industry trends and all public data and the least amount of reliance on internal data. And that's where operations would benefit more from internal data. Well, they have to get all that data ready to go and not all companies are ready there. So I think that's probably the way I would answer it. That checks out. My next question is basically a, a flip of that one. It's what viewpoint, in your opinion, is being underutilized, right? Yeah, you mentioned for very good reasons why operations frontline aren't necessarily using it as, it as much, but you know, for example, is there like a functional area like HR that could be using chat GPT more that isn't? What's your thoughts on this question? So I would actually flip it to the, the three lenses and the one that would be around the employee level, because I would actually have to say the frontline workers and the C-suite. So the two ends of the spectrum are the ones that are just using it the least right now out of all, all the different viewpoints. Because if you think about it, executives have entire teams that can answer questions for them right now. So their need to interface directly with a chat GPT or generative AI would just be lower. And the frontline workers are doing the most repetitive tasks. And so their ability to utilize chat GPT would only be limited to directly helping their job today. 
But however, the managers and the senior level, the ones in the middle, are the ones looking to way to integrate ChatGPT into the processes and the systems themselves to enable groups like the frontline workers to be more effective. So they're the ones really making the changes so that thousands of employees can take advantage of this technology. I don't know if that's kind of answering your question the, the best, but yeah, I would say, you know, frontline work is a great example. Unless they're using it for personal reason, they're not really using it much for the work reason right now at all. I think it's a great answer and it checks out, right? If you're an executive, you have a team to do a lot of the things that you'd be using ChatGPT for. And if you're on the front line, well, hey, you're, you've got maybe a very detailed job or maybe you just don't have the time to dive into that. I would argue that's the type of thing you want to spend time looking into to find ways to to make your job easier or more efficient. But uh, we're still in the early innings of, of AI, so I have no doubt we'll see that evolve. But I appreciate you sharing your opinions on these things because you're right. There's not a ton of stats out there to really back some of these things up. So this is what we need to do at this point in the game. But there is a stat you shared recently from Fishbowl. This was at the start of 2023. So no doubt, like over six months in, this has probably already changed. But I think the general crux of the point is still there. There was a study done by Fishbowl that 11,700 working professionals were surveyed and 43% of them said they used AI tools. But only 68% of them had told their boss that they had done this. And you've talked about this before on other shows. But the reason I bring this up is my question is, what company policies around AI seem to be working so far, right? If people aren't telling their managers, their employers that they're using it, I'm curious, what are the what policies in your perspective should exist right now? So actually, to, to correct that stat, it's 68% had not told their boss. Oh, did I say 68% had told their boss? Yes, you're right. 68% had not told their boss. Yes. So that further exacerbates the point. And that's the fact that people are using it, but they're somehow feeling uncomfortable about their their willingness to share that they're using it with, with their superiors. And yes, that, was, that study was done months ago after, I think only three months after ChatGPT was released. That's crazy. And that was when the adoption was you know, a fraction of what it is today. But it is a it is a great question. The simple answer is it's way too early to tell. You know, even you know, early adopters of ChatGPT only started to create policies in the past few months. And with such a short amount of time, there's no track record to validate effectiveness. So, you know, simple as it is, no one really knows yet. But if you expand to the broader AI, not just generative AI or ChatGPT, then you start to see more mature policies in place. So for example, Companies have policies around privacy and data protection as part of their AI initiatives. And this then expands to ethical or responsible AI. You know, as an example, in June of 2022, Microsoft publicly released their internal responsible AI standard and made it available for anyone and everyone to use. It's 27 pages. It's not super in-depth, but it's it's a great start. AI transparency is another area that companies are focusing on right now as part of their policies, basically because they need to, to clearly document and articulate how AI systems are making decisions. And not only is it you know necessary, but it helps to build trust with users and stakeholders and helps ensure that the AI is actually being used responsibly. The part that most companies are scrambling to figure out, though, is ChatGPT specifically. Since ChatGPT is a publicly available you know, application, 
how do companies police it? How do they govern it? Because whatever you put into the public-facing ChatGPT prompt is now data that is available to open AI. And this begs the question, what data can or should employees load into the public ChatGPT? It's, it's a tricky question. I've, uh, I've heard some funny stories about people loading things into ChatGPT that they should not have. We won't go into any specifics there today, but that is a very real situation that, that has occurred. You know, maybe as as we get towards the end of our AI part of this conversation today, you gave some good examples on the front end around quality control, process control being great applications for it. Can you give us a, a basic example of how a manufacturer is leveraging AI, AI right now, maybe in the context of a, a story that you'd share while we're halfway through our pints at the bar? <laughs> I'm already on pint number two. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> So I'll start with some general statistics and then we'll dive into kind of a, a use case for it. So the Manufacturing Leadership Council just released a new report in June of 2023. So very recent on this very subject. And there were some interesting statistics in there. So first off, they showed how within the manufacturing industry overall, the function of manufacturing and production has the highest percentage of adoption at 39%. And this should make sense since you know, making stuff is the core of the business. And just so you're aware, inventory management came in second and R&D, surprisingly, came in third, uh, tied with, with quality. Now, if you dive deeper into that manufacturing function, shop floor IoT analytics was the number one use case and preventative maintenance was the number two. And we're talking once again, specifically for uses of AI. But another interesting observation here is how manufacturers are measuring success of their AI initiatives. Just 22% of the respondents said that they had specific set of metrics in place to measure AI deployments, effectiveness, and impact. That leaves 61% saying there are no metrics in place and 17 saying, I don't know if we have metrics in place. Now, of those that did actually report it, uh, which remembers a small portion, 35% say that they're using it uh, through measuring asset availability, and 33% are measuring quality of results, and 27% are measuring unexpected insights, which I like that one. But cost savings and time savings came behind those. So this is interesting, as those should be the easiest ways to quantify in terms of an ROI that this is working. So to me, there's a huge opportunity for companies to better demonstrate how AI is making an impact. Yeah. Well, I guess I did have another question around this. I mean, are there, do you know any advanced like plant floor or enterprise examples where AI is being utilized at the moment, right? If, if some of those stats are telling that there might not be a ton of them, I'm curious if you know any yet. So yeah, this would be like more the, the specific case study example. One of my, my favorite examples is a public case study called The Perfect Cheeto, where Frito-Lay as part of Pepsi they used a product called Bonsai by Microsoft. And the, the problem here was humans were constantly tweaking the machines to make the perfect Cheeto because it's surprisingly a very complex process and has a lot of judgment by the operators based on their experience. I mean, moisture level of cornmeal and humidity and vibration and pressure all have an impact on the output. And so operators were constantly tweaking dials manually to get the output that they wanted, the perfect Cheeto. So Bonsai was able to leverage a digital simulation of the process to, quote unquote, you know, um, 
practice the right behaviors of process control to get the right output. And they did this through millions of simulations. And then they can use that to automatically link it to the machine controls to make real-time process tweaks. And in this case, it adjusts the extruders and, and that were used to produce the Cheetos based off a range of, of inputs, such as the, the cornmeal to water ratio and even the, the speed of the cutting tool. And the output was optimal consistency, and it reduced waste and ensured each snack maintained kind of the expected quality. It's a really kind of cool case study of using AI at advanced level, automatically making decisions in the fly, like on the fly, to replace this very heuristic experience of, of people that have been, you know, on the line for many, many years and know how those dials need to be just perfectly tweaked. Now, another one just at a high level is according to IoT Analytics as a great example is Nissan actually runs this AI preventative maintenance platform to do the remaining kind of useful life forecasting of something like 7,500 assets. And Nissan claims that their unplanned downtime had resulted in a reduction of 50% and had a payback period in less than three months by using AI for preventive maintenance. That's, that's huge, especially across such a massive install. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by ePlan. Now, I've known about these folks for years. ePlan provides software and service solutions in the fields of electrical engineering, automation, and mechatronics engineering. But I just got to know them a whole lot better when I featured their international solutions architect, Sean Mulheron, on episode 132. We talked about all things apprenticeships, travel, and data-driven panel design, and I'm gonna focus on that last one for a second. ePlan develops one of the world's leading design software solutions for machine, plant, and panel builders. So if you want to start designing your panels for troubleshooting and ease of use so that your control panels are easy to navigate years after the panel is built, you need to check them out. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com ePlan or hear all about it from Sean in episode 132. And now, back to today's episode. So from preventative maintenance to creating the perfect cheetah, which is it sounded like a function of all the things we're trying to optimize in manufacturing. We're seeing a lot of great early use cases for it. I appreciate how much of a, I'll call it a pioneer in this space you are. Like there aren't a lot of stats here yet, but you're doing a great job keeping up on them. And I appreciate you sharing everything that you've learned about AI with the audience here. It's been, I was looking at it, I thought it was exactly 75 episodes since you had last been on Manufacturing Happy Hour. It's 74, so it's not quite that perfect number that I was hoping for. But long story short, it's been almost two years since you were last on here. So a question I want to kind of revisit from our last interviewer or reflect on that is, since you last appeared on Manufacturing Happy Hour <laughs> over a year and a half ago, what's one of the most significant changes or evolutions in your perspective of Industry 4.0? Sure, so I'll, I'll give uh, kind of two answers to this. One will be more statistically driven, of course, and then more my kind of anecdotal uh, observation. So one thing you have to consider is I wouldn't say there's been any significant change in the broader Industry 4.0, really much from any year to year. 
but there are in specific areas. Just because Industry 4.0, you can think about as the collection of a whole bunch of different technologies coming together to revolutionize the industry. But there are two great reports out there that actually give some fascinating like updates and insights here. One of them was the IoT signals report by Microsoft and Intel. And then there's a more in-depth version of that same report produced by IoT Analytics. And then the other one was actually the 2023 State of Manufacturing Report by Rockwell Automation. So from the Microsoft report, my favorite findings in this one were 86% of companies consider OEE to be the most important KPI for measuring smart factory success. So operational improvement tops workforce enablement and sustainability as the leading KPIs for measuring the success of their industry 4.0 strategy. And what's interesting is this study also shows that the factory KPIs actually improved by 15.3% over the last three years, which is arguably pretty impressive. So the KPIs actually went up, but companies are ambitious for KPI improvements over the next three years, and they expect them to be 66% higher. And this would suggest to me that manufacturers around the world are realizing tangible benefits from their initial use case deployments and are thus willing to basically boost their investments and efforts in implementing kind of the, the smart factory. Now, what's interesting, though, is if you compare to where manufacturers are investing over the next three years, the number one area is industrial automation-based process control, and number two is condition-based monitoring. And what this tells me is that manufacturers realize they can't do some of the cool industry 4.0 things, especially like using AI, if they don't have some of the basic foundations in place. So industry 4.0 related projects are not only being adopted at an accelerated rate, they're actually also driving a good chunk of the industry 3.0 projects that people are still doing today. And the Rockwell report, it took kind of a, a slightly different view and didn't directly answer the top spending categories the exact same way, but it did validate some of the same information. So one of the things that they said is, that um, the biggest area of increase in investment, so not just the biggest spending area, but the increase investment, the cloud technologies and applications and infrastructure came in at first at 44%, and process automation came in at second at 42%. So if you combine with the Microsoft report, that's basically saying that process automation is not only a huge spend category, it's also increasing in its investment from year to year. So with all that being said, you know, these reports were done before ChatGPT, and that's the single most disruptive technology since the last time that we spoke. And I can't wait next time we talk to actually have some data to talk about specifically that disruption. Now, to answer your question more on the anecdotal side from what I'm seeing, this is more at an ecosystem level, but I'm seeing that companies are partnering up with each other because companies realize that there is no one company that can do it all from an industry 4.0 perspective. I mean, if you look at some of the biggest players out there, I mean, they have hundreds of thousands of partners, not just one or two. So they can have this overarching ecosystem to be able to offer end-to-end -end kind of digital transformation because it requires lots of companies to come together in order to be able to, to make these transformative changes that we're seeing. Now, I'd say in the last two years, that's been a big one that we're seeing with companies is very strategically kind of partnering up so that they can talk about the bigger overarching transformation that needs to happen.
just to kind of summarize some of my key takeaways there for the manufacturing leaders that, that might be listening to this on the go, I love what you shared about people that are doing Industry 4.0 implementations are getting results, and as a result, they're investing more. But a lot of times that investment goes back to some of the fundamentals, the condition monitoring, process automation, the things that you need to bring that to life. Because if you don't have the fundamentals there, what can you do about getting the data, connecting those systems? But also what you mentioned about having partnerships, it takes a village to really bring this to life. So love that answer. You were actually recently interviewed for an article in Control Engineering as well. You were on the cover page, and this was titled, Is Industry 4.0 slash Smart Manufacturing Working for You? And one of the questions towards the end, this is on the human side of Industry 4.0, what are best practices for controls and automation engineers in the era of Industry 4.0? So with this in mind, what advice do you have for people that are upskilling or entering the workforce as controls or automation engineers right now? So in that article for that particular question, I talked about four main concepts, continuous learning with a growth mindset, spreading your wings into new disciplines, focusing on cybersecurity, and thinking like an analyst. So to answer your specific question in response to that, there's a couple pieces of advice that I would give to anyone kind of entering the workforce or trying to upskill themselves. Uh, First is seek hands-on experience. I mean, theory and knowledge are essential, but practical experience is equally important. So seek opportunities to work on real-world projects, and it could be, depending on how early you are, internships or anything that involves Industry 4.0 technology. So hands-on experience will enhance your problem-solving abilities and allow you to apply your knowledge in a practical setting. There's training programs out there at universities, like the the Digital Foundry at Penn State that offers a hands-on certificate in digital manufacturing. There's also groups out there like SACA, the Smart Automation uh, Certification Alliance, that partners with local schools, trade associations, and companies to offer hands-on training and certifications. The second is engage in collaborative projects. Embrace teamwork and collaboration as Industry 4.0 often involves, uh, if not always involves, cross-functional projects. Engaging with professionals from different backgrounds will help gain you new experience and new perspective and help refine your skills and even foster a little bit of creativity. Good example here is asking to be included in IT-related projects or think of it as any discipline that's far removed from your knowledge base yet still is related to technology. A third is stay updated with industry trends. Follow industry news, tech, tech blogs, uh, you know, reputable sources to stay informed about the latest advancements in controls, automation, and industry 4.0. Because being up to date with emerging technologies and trends will give you a competitive edge in the job market. I mean, look at ChatGPT as just one example. Didn't exist a year ago, and it's been massively disruptive. If you were one of the first people to learn about it, you are far more ahead now than people just starting to learn about it today. And that's only one year difference. And the fourth, I would say, is build a professional network. You know, networking is valuable for career growth and You know, you can do this by attending industry events, join relevant online communities and connect with professionals in the field. Networking not only does it help with job opportunities and collaborations, but it can also help with mentorships. Join associations and organizations that have similar like-minded people from your background wanting to learn, grow and expand into these areas. ISA, MESA and SME are just three great examples depending on your particular background and your area of interest. 
And you're a great example of someone that's involved and on the boards of a lot of these organizations as well. Great tips across the board. The next part of this question is, these are people like, let's say, hey, advice for people entering the workforce, upskilling right now. What about people that are hiring and leading these individuals? What advice do you have for folks that are hiring and leading these industry 4.0 engineers? Another good question. So this one's a little trickier um, because it's not just about the manufacturing leadership. It's about the company and the culture associated with it. But if I were to try and pick a few specific ones, I'd say promote continuous learning. So technologies and best practices are changing so rapidly that you need to make a very concerted effort to stay current. Encourage and support a culture of continuous learning within your organization. Industry 4.0 is rapidly evolving, and it's crucial for engineers to stay up to date with the latest technologies and trends. So offer training opportunities, offer certifications, you know, give an allowance of funds for people to attend relevant workshops and conferences and, and continually to, to learn. The second is encourage innovation and experimentation. Foster a culture of innovation that you're basically allowing your engineers to explore new ideas, new technologies, new methodologies. Provide them with the freedom to take calculated risks, but also the ability to, to learn from their failures. This will allow them to grow more as individuals and it will help the company overall. And third, I would say is lead by example. This is both as a leader of a company and as the company itself. Demonstrate a commitment to, to learning and staying updated with industry trends. You know, this could be embracing new technologies and methodologies as a leader. I mean, your enthusiasm and dedication will inspire your team to follow suit. But as a company, this is really important. Your company needs to show that you're a tech forward, innovative company. I don't care if what you're manufacturing is one of the most basic, fundamental things that hasn't changed in 50 years. You need to be seen as a tech forward, innovative company because this will help attract the right talent and keep that. Otherwise, when people graduate from college or are new in their careers, and let's say they have a great degree that you want or a great skill set that you want related to technology, are they going to go to you? Or are they going to go to the cool, shiny tech forward companies out there that really do want to foster that environment of cap, you know, captivating and capturing their skills and letting them, you know, unleash them on the company. So as a company, you need to start becoming a tech forward company. I uh, I like how you answered that from a, a company culture standpoint, right? And the vibe that you give off and a tech forward vibe. That, yeah, I always enjoy these conversations. You bring a lot of unique insights, a lot of very well-informed insights to this show. And it's no secret to probably most of the people listening that you're very active on LinkedIn. I would imagine a lot of our listeners are following and connecting, connected with you there. So my last question for today's conversation is around one of your recent posts. You asked a question, if companies don't seriously invest in blank, you left that blank, within the next five years, they will struggle to compete. You challenged everyone to fill in that blank. So you have like something around over 500 comments on this topic. What were some of the top answers that you've seen? <laughs> what do people need to be investing in? Oh, great question. And I, I made the claim at the beginning of the comment that I'm going to analyze all the data and come up with a response. That was, of course, before it's something like 530 or 540 comments. I haven't done it yet. So you caught me before. But there's kind of two things I've learned from making that post. One is most people have a hard time quantifying a specific area of investment. 
they'll have a general category or area to invest in to answer this question, but not a specific a specific request, kind of like where and how the money is actually going to be spent. I had to ask for clarification on quite a few of the responses to try and pull that out. But if if I were, the second would be if I if I had to pick one, the overwhelming emphasis was on people. But this supports my first point. A lot of responses didn't know exactly how to articulate the specific investment within or for people. But based on my subjective review so far, I haven't added them all up. I would say that that those that were able to pinpoint a specific were talking very specifically about upskilling and reskilling employees, and even more specifically, what they had to be, to be doing it, which is around the proper use and being able to take advantage of data. You know, which if you jump back to that Rockwell report I was talking about, they actually identified 46% of manufacturers say that the lack of skilled workforce is the biggest struggle that they're having over the next 12 months to kind of outpace the competition. And that was the highest category. So an official study matches my LinkedIn kind of probing question to the audience that upskilling and reskilling people is where you really need to invest over the next five years. Yeah, I, uh, I I looked through those comments and I saw you pushing people a little bit more when they're like, oh, well, invest in people. It's like, all right, but that's that's kind of general. Give me give me a bit more. So now I appreciate you adding some more color to that here. This might seem like an obvious uh, final question, but what Jeff, where's the best way to connect with you and keep up with you? Like you kind of said earlier, LinkedIn is my primary communication platform to, to just connect, communicate with the world. So if you don't already follow me, please do connect with me, ask questions. I try to respond to as many comments as I can, and it, it spurs great conversation. So I look forward to future engagement. Yep. For everyone listening out there, if for whatever reason you're not already following Jeff, highly recommend doing it. Everything he said is true. He's very engaged. He responds to the comments. He's in there every day. A lot to learn from you. And the next time we have a conversation, it won't have to be theoretical over beverages at your local pub we're actually going to be hanging out this october in greenville south carolina for sesame's smart manufacturing experience so i look forward to grabbing some beverages with you there jeff likewise i look forward to it as well excellent thanks for jumping on hey thank you everyone for listening As always, and today more than ever, if you want to learn more, head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 149. This really is a great AI resource guide for manufacturers. I counted it up. There are at least five resources over there, including links to Rockwell's State of Smart Manufacturing Report, Jeff's recent article in Control Engineering, many more. And of course, Jackson Avenue Pub in Naperville, Illinois for that drunken pear burger as well. Most importantly, you can connect with Jeff on LinkedIn. There's a link to connect with him there. You can also search for Jeff Winter on LinkedIn. He's sure to come up. And that way you can keep up with all of his AI and Industry 4.0 insights on a regular basis. If you do, please feel free to mention that you heard his episode on Manufacturing Happy Hour when you connect with him. Context always helps when making connections. My call to action for you, I mentioned it at the start. Share a link to this episode on LinkedIn with your top takeaway. Tag Jeff, tag myself, tag Manufacturing Happy Hour, and we will keep the conversation going. As you heard Jeff say, we're really in the early innings of AI, so the more dialogue we can keep having, the more we can all learn. 
couple final housekeeping items. Thank you to ePlan for sponsoring today's episode. And one other side note, Jeff and I mentioned we're both going to Sesame's Smart Manufacturing Experience at South Tech in October 2023. If you're a regular listener, you might know this. I do events. I do emceeing. I do keynote talks. I host live podcasts. If you're interested in collaborating with me on any of that, you can email me at info at manufacturinghappyhour.com with the subject line event. That way I know what the context of the conversation is about, and we can keep that discussion going from there. If you would like me to be part of events like that with you, your organization, your company, whatever group it may be. Anyway, thank you as always for listening. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour, powered by the Industrial Network.